You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor at Washington Post Live and also co-author of the Early 202 newsletter. Today, I am joined by Oregon Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley. Senator Merkley, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, You're welcome, Leanne. It's good to be with you. We have a lot of topics to get to, but I want to start on the issue of climate change. As you fully know, and most of our viewers know, uh, this summer has been extremely hot in many places around the country. They have what's called a heat dome that has hovered over the southern part of the country. But in addition, there's been a lot of weird uh, climate events over the last couple months and beyond. So. You have asked, not only just recently, but for the last couple of years, for President Biden to declare a climate emergency. What do you mean by that? What would you like to see? Well, certainly the impact of this summer has been very clear. July 4th, the hottest day in human history. Uh, The last nine years, the hottest nine years in human history. And we see all sorts of other impacts in terms of drought and loss of snowpack and stronger storms and ocean acidification. So when you look at that collective impact, this is a global emergency. It's the biggest threat that humanity has ever faced. So even before Biden was inaugurated, uh, I was arguing use that first speech to lay out the challenge that the United States has to set the example, have the power of its example, has to work and lead other countries, other countries that have put less carbon into the atmosphere over the last 150 years, other countries that have lower standards of living, we have to have the power example lead and help the world take this on. But instead, what we have seen is the Biden administration has reverted to an all of the above strategy. They are greenlighting one fossil project after another, more drilling in the Gulf of Mexico a new LNG export facility in Alaska, a massive North Sea drilling operation called the Willow Project, the Mountain Valley Gas Pipeline. And they've failed to absolutely educate Americans about the immediacy of the the challenge and how dramatically we need to operate uh, in order to take it on. So while they've done many things, Uh, that I like a great deal, what they haven't done is be the bold, uh, insightful, determined leader on climate that the United States needs and the world needs. And a climate emergency would, under our laws, declaring it, would give the president a lot more powers, which he could exercise as he saw appropriate as issues develop. Things like banning oil exports or activating the Defense Production Act. To meet the goal that Biden laid out for 2035 in terms of all electricity being generated by renewable energy, if half of that comes from solar, then we have to deploy nearly 3 billion solar panels between now and 12 years from now. We're nowhere close to having the production capacity to do that. I mean, we're not even even a tiny bit of the way there. Uh, So Mm -hmm. there's more that the, the president could do 
Uh, they could he could shift funds with climate emergency to accelerate R and D on batteries. He could accelerate transmission lines needed to interconnect different grids across the the, the country. Uh, he could uh, send a message to to investors and send a message to universities and send a message to the public uh, that he is going to to fight this battle as fiercely or more fiercely than say President Trump continuously fought and raised issues about our southern border. Yeah. So what does the White House, what does the administration say to you when you ask why they're not doing this or when they respond to your letters, if they respond about this issue? Yes. Um, they give very vague answers like you understand why we have to follow the course we're, we're following. And, and uh, I will say, no, I do not understand. Yes, I, I realize the Senate is split in the last session of Congress, 50-50, now it's 51-49. I understand that producing uh, bills that will be helpful require essentially every Democrat to be on, on, on board. Uh, I understand this, but I do think that people rally around a leader who lays out a clear and powerful vision and says how urgent it is. And that is more important, more needed uh, than a little bit of um, uh, cooperation that some senator will come in and sit down and talk to you. Uh, so uh, I, uh, I, I really think that, quite frankly, President Biden and his team do not understand the level of challenge we're facing and that Really, President Biden, as one a NASA climate scientist said a week ago, he is the last president who can keep the Earth from exceeding 1.5 degrees centigrade, which we're hurtling towards just so so rapidly. Does President Biden need a primary challenger to push him on this issue? Well, it it. it probably wouldn't hurt if there was a, an, an, an activist who had a very clear reputation and a, a solid grassroots connection to be in the campaign to be making uh, these points. But realize President Biden at this point really does have the primary tied up. Uh, the major environmental groups uh, endorsed early. They were afraid that a challenger would undermine President Biden the way, say, Ted Kennedy's campaign uh, damaged Jimmy Carter's re-election. So labor is already on board, reproductive rights groups are on board, uh, major environmental groups are on board. I think um, what we're seeing now is the president uh, has the primary uh, well in hand, but those climate groups that did that early endorsement, they should go back and say, you don't want just our endorsement, you want our activists knocking on door, you want the sunrise movement of youth to be passionately excited about your campaign. It is pivot now, say no to any more fossil project. Uh, for example, right now, the fossil fuel world wants to double the capacity of a pipeline that runs through Oregon and Washington. And I've been working to get uh, FERC to say no because they haven't demonstrated a quote, need for that additional fossil methane gas in California or Oregon or Washington. And so I'm lobbying the White House. Well, those environmental groups that have already endorsed him, they say, here's a great example of making the pivot 
right now. Do not allow them to double the pressure of that pipeline and double that gas. This is a case where the administration wants to pretend that fossil gas is somehow better for the climate than coal. And that is a fallacy. A recent study said if a, if a fossil gas, natural gas, but natural gas is a marketing term, let's call it fossil methane gas, if it has a 0.2% leakage rate, then it is as bad for the climate as coal. So they're, they're essentially equivalent or possibly fossil gas is, is, is worse because methane, the primary component of fossil gas uh, is such so effective at trapping a heat. So do not pretend that somehow fossil gas is, 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 is better. Do not pretend that plastics, expansion of plastics is, is okay or fossil hydrogen. Those are all things that will be climate killers and the president has to help educate the United States and um, again, take us back to that core power of our example and then our persuasive ability with other countries. Um, John Kerry was in China recently to talk about, he's the climate, climate envoy, envoy for the administration, to talk about climate change. Did he do enough there? He came back from that trip without much success. Did he do enough to try to move the Chinese on a climate mission? You know, uh, I love John Kerry and the expertise he brings, and he's just the right person to have in this job. But most of what's been happening is countries have been setting goals for 2035 and 2050. When earlier this year I was in Vietnam and I was in Indonesia, they bragged about their 2035 goals and 2050 goals. Those goals are just mirages on the horizon. Having countries sign up to that is meaningless. What matters now is a fast pivot off of fossils. Stop producing more fossil infrastructure, rapidly deploy renewable infrastructure. The real test of how the world is doing is how much each year does the carbon go up that's in the atmosphere? And it went up more last year than any year in human history. In other words, we haven't even begun. We haven't even started. We haven't even gotten the slightest start on, on uh, ending the acceleration of carbon into our atmosphere. And that is so powerfully destructive to the world that our children will see, our grandchildren will see, it will get worse and worse. I mean, think about how bad it is now compared to 25 years ago. This is going to accelerate to another place. So the kind of agreements uh, that, that Kerry needs to get are real on the ground commitments of changes that immediately stop new fossil projects and accelerate renewables. But how can the US ask for that when we're approving a whole lot more fossil projects here at home? That is the fatal flaw in the direction the, the president is headed. On this most important issue facing humanity, Team Biden is failing. Mm. There's talk uh, about permitting reform trying to get done this Congress. Um, some uh, climate activists say that it is necessary to do this permitting reform that'll help all energy sectors in order to advance renewable energies. Where do you stand on that? Very dangerous to have permitting reform that proceeds to unleash even faster fossils. Wrong message to the world, 
wrong message on the ground here. Yes, we need uh, improvements on electric transmission, interconnecting uh, different parts of the country. Much of that can be done by putting taller towers and, and wider cuts, if you will, on existing pathways, rather than new, new pathways. That's much easier uh, to do. Uh, but if you unleash more fossils more quickly, boy, our, 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 we just undermine everything at home and everything abroad. Moreover, the, the House leaders have said they're not going to talk about permitting reform or transmission reform, which would help with the electricity equation, the grid, uh, unless there's a massive um, curtailment of the Clean Waters Act. Well, politically, that's not going to, to fly. In other words, the Republican Party, the key puppet master of the Republican Party is the fossil fuel community. That is the big challenge we face. Last year, they had some $300 billion in profits. They put 1% of that into the political system as an investment in the campaigns, that's $3 billion. The Republican Party is controlled by the fossil fuel world, and it's going to take a clear message from Biden in his reelection that the path that he's on is serving the American people and the future for our children, our grandchildren, not the short-term profits of the fossil companies. They have to be painted as the bad guy because they are the bad guy. They are the force that is determined to keep on a path uh, that will that is destroying our world. Senator, I wanna change topics. Uh, another issue that you've been working on on Capitol Hill is TSA facial recognition. As more you know, record level travel for some Americans this summer, more and more airports are using this facial recognition mechanism through the TSA process. What are your concerns about it? Well, I'm very concerned about a government creating a surveillance state uh, where they track Americans everywhere you go. And what the TSA had in their 2018 plan was, hey, we want to experiment with this and have an opt-in option an individual in line could choose, instead of having their face identified by the TSA agent, to have the camera identify them. But they have gone from opt-in to opt-out. And in fact, they don't really have opt-out. What they have done is the agent directs you in front of the camera, but they have no sign in the line as you approach saying, hey, you will have an option and you don't have to have the, the camera. They don't tell you, uh, they don't have a sign at the kiosk. They don't have a sign under the camera. In the four last times I've gone through Reagan National, each time I've posted about it, and I've documented uh, the lack of that signage. On my last trip, uh, last last uh, Friday, uh, they had no sign in the line, no sign at the kiosk, no sign in the camera. What they did have was a, uh, a sign that had been turned sideways and squeezed in between two kiosks so that nobody could read it. And if you did read it, it wouldn't say facial recognition. And it wouldn't say you have a choice. Somewhere way down this fine print, uh, there is a, an indication that you can opt out, you can volunteer to opt out. But of course, no one's being, it's just the complete system is set up to force you. When I have said to an agent, this is not required and you're supposed to inform people uh, that this is an option, they've said, no, we're not. And when I have said, well, I'm choosing not to be in front of the camera and I hand them my driver's license, I've had an agent uh, say to me, well, you're going to hold up yourself and the entire line. 
which was simply not true. It takes like four seconds for the agent to look at your face and look at your, your card. On the second to my last trip, the agent, seeing that I was taking pictures of what they were doing, which is totally legal, by the, by the way, and I wanted to protect myself, make sure I wasn't going to get arrested, uh, the agent had me stand aside. And you can hear him uh, on tape saying, what are we going to do about him? Uh, and I mean, they, uh, they absolutely are at the front end of setting up a surveillance state. We should all be extremely worried about it. TSA is not honoring the opt-in strategy. They are not honoring what they have said is they're informing people to, to opt out. They clearly uh, are on a path that we should all be concerned about. What do they do with that information? Do you know? So they, an information initially is simply used for the computer to say, does the license, which is being scanned simultaneously by the agent, match the picture just taken? But then they, they have uh, basically said they're holding that information and they say temporarily to do a study. Well, what does temporarily mean? Mm. Where are they holding this? You know, they've been hacked before and they've lost uh, thousands and thousands of uh, pictures. Maybe the term is hundreds of thousands. Uh, the, I don't have the number in front of me, but um, the situation of being tracked everywhere you go in, in America it's just too tempting. I mean, they are going to connect this system up in time to a database uh, of uh, folks that, that they have an interest in. Um, and that means it won't just be to uh, connect your face to your, to your driver's license. This is the first step. Then they connect it to the database. They say, well, now we can catch people wherever they go, people we're looking for. And it's tempting. It sounds like um, criminal justice uh, will be enhanced. Maybe you'll catch somebody who has a warrant on them. Do we want a government with the huge powers to track us everywhere we go? What is the cost in privacy? What is the cost in freedom? We see around the world the advanced surveillance state like China is exercising with the Uyghurs. We do not want to live, I don't want to live, and I don't think Americans want to live in that freedom constrained in, in environment. So we have to stop it now. Uh, really quickly before I move on to another topic, is this something that could be added, some more oversight could be added to the upcoming FISA uh, reauthorization bill, or is it too different of an issue? Well, under the structure of the Senate, you can add any topic into any bill as long as you can get unanimous consent to have the amendment considered. And that is a change in the Senate that is, is a big problem. The first Senate I saw, any person, any senator could raise any amendment on any topic and uh, without unanimous consent. Just the, 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 it wasn't the rules changing, it was the social contract. The social contract was, you don't object to my amendment, I don't object to your amendment. There was no camera on the floor. The amendments were generally on the topic of the bill. That was the superpower of the senator. That is completely gone. Now you need unanimous consent because the social contract has changed. I will object to your amendment because you're going to object to my amendment. And uh, the amendment tree is filled by the leader, so there is no non-unanimous consent option to get your amendment heard. And it sounds like insider baseball essentially amounts to this. You can't challenge the powerful nearly as easily as you could a couple decades ago because you could put, you saw some wrongdoing, you could put up an amendment and force a vote. That vote is recorded. It creates accountability with the American uh, public, but that ability is gone. It's why you can't put up a, a strong amendment on climate because the Republicans will object 
to the the consideration of it. They just objected. I just had an amendment on the defense authorization to end oil exports to uh, China, and the Republicans went bananas uh, over it, and of course uh, uh, objected to it being being voted on. Uh, so I do believe this, though, to your point, Leanne. That is, there's support among Democrats and Republicans on this issue. Uh, my partner in, in committee this last week uh, was uh, John Kennedy from Louisiana, uh, a staunch uh, re Republican. Uh, I'm going to find other Republicans team up. I've talked to Senator Cruz. I've talked to Senator Lee. Uh, they are considering uh, weighing in on this privacy surveillance. Uh, I think we can build a coalition of Democrats and Republicans who say this is dangerous. This is not a path we want to go down. Uh, since you brought up Senate procedure, I do want to ask about the filibuster. This is something that you have wanted reform of the 60 vote threshold in the Senate for for a while. There was a lot of talk about it in the last Congress when it was a 50-50 Senate. There's not so much talk about it now. Why not? The driving force in the last Congress was Senate Bill Number One, the For the People Act, my bill, which took on gerrymandering, it took on dark money, and it defended the registration process and the balloting process for every American, defended the ballot box. This was so needed. We had 50 votes and a vice president support the bill. We only had 48 votes, however, uh, to go from the secret silent veto where the minority, if they have 41 folks who say no to any debate, you can't end debate, but no debate required, uh, the, the big irony there, to go to a talking filibuster, which we would have been able eventually to get to a vote. It probably would have taken five or six weeks, but the Senate from its beginning had rules that said eventually, after you've had a full opportunity to have your say, a vote will be held. Uh, it allows you to speak twice to a specific motion within the same legislative day. And a legislative day, if it's a continuous debate, can stretch on for, for, for weeks. That, that rule is still in the, the Senate rules. But two senators, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema, chose to keep the silent, non-accountable veto, which discourages cooperation, instead of going to a full talking filibuster, which encourages cooperation, because it takes time and effort for the minority to keep up continuous debate, and because the majority can't afford to have the floor tied up for weeks and weeks. So it encourages negotiation and, and compromise. But they chose the veto over the talking filibuster and torpedoed that effort. And uh, now we have no chance of getting such a bill through the, the House, so there isn't a, a key legislative opportunity uh, that is driving the debate over, over the restoring, if you will, uh, the, the, the system of the past, the talking filibuster as an instrument uh, to be able to uh, drive compromise and, and get us to a final vote. And finally, we're almost out of time, Senator. I do want to ask you about um, an aging Senate. Last week, we saw, uh, you know, the episode by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, where he wasn't, he wasn't speaking for several seconds and had to be walked away. Um, there's been questions about Senator Feinstein's uh, health and her mental capability of serving in the Senate. Does there need to be an age limit in the Senate? Is that something that Congress should discuss? 
No, I don't think that has any uh, possibility. It would qu require a constitutional amendment. I don't see that getting the uh, supermajority it needs in both chambers and then three quarters of, of, of the states. Uh, I do say to my team, uh, when I am at that point, that pivot in my life where you start to see the, the changes in my abilities, don't let me run for, for re-election. But think about Senator Leahy, who, who just retired. He was the last person who was there when I was an intern in 1976. He was the last person, Senator, still serving during the time that I'm serving as Senator. And every single week, he was a positive contributor. Uh, he brought his humor. He brought his stories about coral reefs bleaching because of his scuba diving. Uh, he brought his effectiveness on the Judiciary Committee and the Appropriations Committee. He gave us a real sense of the how the Senate had, had changed. And so having a few folks who have been around a significant amount of time can help give insight that newcomers uh, uh, would take a long time to uh, acquire. I just don't think America wants to say age is the single factor, but if, if, you're, if your health is questionable, uh, if your mind is not as sharp as it was 30 years earlier, then maybe it's time to think about not running for reelection. Senator, we are out of time. Thank you so much for spending 25 minutes with us this morning. I really appreciate it for this fascinating discussion. You're so welcome, Leanne. Let's uh, go and build a, a better world. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.